Hello, and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. At the end of his life, Jesus said this about us. The glory that you, God, have given me, Jesus, I have given to them, Jesus' followers. What is this glory? Lead teacher Randy Pope finishes the series, Romans 8, Trusting in God's Sovereignty, with the ninth part of this message entitled, All Things, which covers Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 30. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at Perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Our gracious Father, we thank you for the privilege to have been studying through these many weeks uh, this wonderful text in Romans 8. We pray that uh, as we bring this to conclusion today, that you would grant us to just see a little more clearly the divine love that has captured so many of our hearts. And we pray for those of us here that are longing for that heart to be captured and even today may find that to be the reality. Would you bless to that end? And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Our study has been in Romans 8, as I mentioned in prayer, Romans 8, 28 through 30. And this is a study of what's called the doctrines of grace. It certainly doesn't cover every aspect of the doctrines of grace, but it certainly covers some of the most important aspects of it and those which are probably least understood. As we talk about this, it really is a study of salvation. It's taking us from eternity past into eternity future. Most of us are very familiar with the eternity, the, uh, the salvation now, the aspect of our, our, our justification, being declared righteous, becoming a Christian as we call it. But we fail to understand the eternity previous, all that has taken place to bring us to this time. And then what happens after this time that completes our salvation, which happens to be the portion that we're looking at this week. Let me say Romans 8 has been, has been referred to as the highest, uh, Romans as a, a book, uh, as the highest peak of scriptures. And I would agree with that. It's just something about the book of Romans. It's also been said that Romans 8 is the highest peak of the book of Romans. I go so far and I say Romans 8 verse 28 is the most beautiful peak that you'll ever see. Now, the reality of that, we understand as we've studied that all things work together for good. Here's how it reads in verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. What a beautiful, beautiful belief. Every Christian here loves to be able to think, oh, I'm hanging on to that right now. It's going to work out for good. It'll work out for good. But here's the reality. There is another uh, peak that we have to look at. Uh, This particular peak, I believe, is the most feared. It's the most disliked. It's the most avoided peaks of all Scripture. It's found in the next two verses. This is how they read 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. These whom he predestined, he also called. These whom he called, he also justified. These whom he justified, he also glorified. Now here is the irony of it all. 
you can't really get to and see the peak of verse 28 until we first go up to the ominous peak of verses 29 and 30. I don't want want that 29 and 30. Then I don't think you're ever going to see, not clearly. You'll never get a beautiful view of verse 28. You'll know it's there. You see it in the distance. But I don't think you can ever fully, fully comprehend it. So previously, we looked at seven subjects that uh, comprise the, uh, the primary teachings of the doctrines of grace. First, God's sovereignty. We looked at it. Number two, man's free will. Number three, man's fall. Number four, foreknowledge of God. Then we looked at predestination. Then calling. And last week, we looked at the topic of justification. Now, each of these last four that are on this list make up what has been called the five links, these being the first four of the five links of the golden chain of salvation, meaning these are the primary elements that make up this thing called salvation as we know it. And so this week, we move into the fifth and final link, and it's the link of glorification, Now, first, if we're going to understand glorification, we've got to know something about glory. What is glory? It really is what glorification is. It has to do with the way that glory is now being manifested, but it's about glory. The word literally means renown. It means splendor. If you want to understand this whole subject matter, I think you've got to know one thing. You've got to know this one thing. Now, that is that we all crave applause. It's a statement of fact. There's not one of us here that says, oh, I don't like applause. Uh, Sometimes we think it's not best to get the applause, and we know that it's not a time for applause. There are things like that. But to say we don't like applause, we don't want it, oh, come on. We crave it. We crave it from childhood. And those that are parents and grandparents, if you remember your childhood well enough, you know good and well how it is. You do something that is just routine, perhaps, to the adult in their mind, but to the child, it's pretty special. And what do they do? Those that mean the most to them, they say, Mom, watch this. And they do it. And you applaud them. You say, that's wonderful. Well, Mom, watch this. And they do the very same thing again, and you applaud it. And after about six times, Mom, watch this, doing the very same thing. We don't say it, but we're thinking, I don't want to see that again. I've seen it enough. But what do we do? We applaud them. Because we know their heart longs for that applause. It doesn't change when we grow older. We still want applause. We want acceptance. All those things mean so much to us. Being a tennis player for so many years or uh, now playing golf, I I know in in, in athletics it can certainly be that way when you're, you're playing someone and you're playing very, very poorly and you know that maybe the week before you played very, very well. You know what happens when you're playing. You keep thinking, I need somehow to let these guys know that I'm really better than what I appear to be right now. 
I think I'll just slip in what I scored last week. And then as a spiritual person, you say, that's really not good to do that. I'm not going to do that. But somehow before the round is over, we find a way to backhandedly come into it and actually let them know how I played last week. Well, what is that? It's a craving for applause. I remember speaking at a, at a big banquet with uh, uh, college athletes. Uh, they were baseball players. Uh, I wasn't a baseball player. But I'm speaking to them with a uh, uh, all-star, many, many time all-star uh, pitcher in professional baseball. And so I spoke first. They listened. And then he spoke. And I watched the crowd. He didn't have to say anything. He just stood up and it was like, whoa. And they listened. And then when it was over, they announced autographs were available. <laughs> and I stood for over an hour watching him give autographs. Nobody wanted my autograph. But I guarantee you, every one of those college players watching this all-star many, many times going, oh, I'd give anything to be in his shoes to get the applause that he gets. And even to get a picture with him will bring me some applause. That's what I want. I guarantee you I could ask as many of those college players as I wanted. I could say, why do you play this game of baseball? And probably this is what I would hear. It's the love of the game. I love the sport. And if I could be ruthfully honest, I'd say, no, it isn't. If no one ever knew you played, no one ever saw you play, and you could just get out and play without, you wouldn't play. You wouldn't do it. It's the applause that we want. I share all that just to root in our thinking. Let me tell you, that's what we want. We want applause. Now, here's the big question. Is that desire for applause, is it good or is it bad? And most people hearing this just this much of the message would say, well, I think it's not good that we so long for to be applauded as we do. That's really not true. I want you to hear that we are designed for applause. We are designed for applause. In so doing, it is innately within us, it is going to be natural and normal for us to say, I need applause. Here's the question. Do we look for it in a counterfeit version or do we look at it and for it in what I would call the authentic version? Where is the source of it? Is the source coming from other people like myself that I admire and love and, and want them to do the same for me? Or is it a divine audience, the Trinity of God, who I say, that's where I want the applause and approval. It leads to a story, called, I call it the story of glory for you that have been around here in fear of, of just too much repetition for you. But for the sake of the many that are new and the people that may be listening to this, and maybe for time to come, I want to make sure that you get the bigger picture because there's no better way for me to say it than the story of glory. I'll do it in a very brief manner. But I'll put up the various chapter titles as I call it. Number one, it's designed with glory. We were designed 
from the beginning of time, our foreparents designed with glory, and they had that splendor. They had everything they needed to be happy. However, number two, there's fall from glory. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That glory is literally stripped away. Glory no longer there. Leads to the third chapter, which is a search for glory. It's from childhood. From as small as we can imagine, we're coming out of the womb and we're saying, where is it? What is it? I need it. I got to get it. And we grow up and let me tell you, it's the same thing. But what we do is we go from garbage heap to garbage heap, toy to toy, fix to fix, relationship to relationship, and we're saying, I got to get it. We get it. I say, yes, it satisfies. And then something happens. It dissipates. It's gone. And we go, oh, I got to have more. And we keep searching and searching and searching and searching. It's a search for glory until we come to number four, discovery of glory. At discovery of glory, it's basically summarized in Colossians 1.27. And Jesus is the hope of glory. See, all this searching. Where? Who? What is it? Who? Her? Him? It? I, oh, I got it. Oh. And then we finally realize, seeker, this is the answer to life. It's when we see Jesus and do you know what Jesus does? The scriptures teach he gives us an initial deposit of glory at the moment of justification. And we taste of that which truly satisfies. Now here's the problem. Once we've tasted and we've been satisfied with Jesus, we have to decide, what do I think about these counterfeit glories? And many of us, not you, many of us, have this constant thought, well, if Jesus satisfies the way he does, and I know he does, imagine if I can have Jesus plus. And they're not necessarily bad things. But if I could just have that, then I would really be satisfied. Well, Scripture teaches in 2 Corinthians, it teaches it very clearly that, that uh, this glory that he gives as we pursue Jesus that glory is added to glory, is added to glory, is added to glory. It's called an ever-increasing glory in 2 Corinthians 3. And, and that's the Apostle Paul, glory after glory after glory, and you see his life and you say, wow, look at the way the man lives, look at the way he thinks. It's so uncommon, it's not, it's not natural. But keep in mind, oh, the deposits of glory, which is the next, deposits of glory. But they're also withdrawals. Every time we reach out to that plus, I've got Jesus, but I also have got to have this to be happy. Oh, I've got to have this to be satisfied. Oh, if I could only get this, then I'll be. Let me tell you, it takes the glory that we have been building, and it literally is like withdrawals, taking it away. That's why I often say some of the most miserable people that I meet are actually Christians, but they have fallen into the trap, Jesus plus. And they don't realize, why am I so empty? Where is it gone? What's happened? Well, that leads us to full glory, the last chapter. Full glory. Now, full glory doesn't take place until Jesus returns. But when we die, you talking about an abundance of glory? Not fully yet, That'll come when Jesus returns. But we're talking about full glory in eternity, forever and ever, for God's people. Now, 
Here's the beauty of the teaching of this. I think Paul just gives us the answer to how to cope in life with a broken, fallen world with all the yuck that happens in life. He says it in verse 18 of this same chapter 8. He says, the suffering of this present world is not worthy to be compared to the glory yet to be revealed. So it's that story of that mama who says, I'll go through the childbirth pain and I'll do it with excitement because there is a baby to be delivered. It's keeping your hope fixed on the glory to be revealed that enables us to endure the suffering of this world. Now, for those of you that are theologically savvy, uh, you've studied theology, you know the Bible fairly well, and I would imagine that many of you have got to be asking the question, now wait, this, this golden chain, it's missing a link. You go from justification to glorification. What about, anybody tell me the word that's probably missing? Sanctification. Where is sanctification? The setting apart of the Christian while alive more and more and more into the likeness of God. Well, let me, uh, let me give you a definition of glorification. Not mine, but a definition I found that I think basically answers that entire question. Here is the definition of glorification. Glorification is God removing all spiritual defects. So we know that happens at some point, right? But look at this. It says it first involves the believer's sanctification, meaning glorify. glorification includes sanctification, where his people are made and are being made holy. So sanctif uh, 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 sanctification is the temporal, it's the earthly side of a believer receiving glory. There's your deposits of glory. Glorification, on the other hand, is the eternal side of believers receiving their final deposits of glory. That is what we call the return of Christ. Now, many of you are familiar with the, the writings of C.S. Lewis, and what a, a tremendous insight into life. He has a book called Weight of Glory. I'd like to read a, a little paragraph out of it, and it is so very insightful. He says, in my own experience, the lawful pleasure of praise from, the, from those whom it was my duty to please turns into the deadly poison of self-admiration. Notice the lawful pleasure of praise. But something happens to it. It turns into this deadly poison of self-admiration. But I thought I could detect just a moment, a very, very short moment, before all of this happened, during which the satisfaction of having pleased those whom I rightly loved and rightly feared was pure. And that is enough to raise our thoughts to what may happen when the redeemed soul, beyond all hope and nearly beyond belief, learns at last that she has pleased him whom she was created to please. That's God himself. See, folks, we're created to please God. And when we find out that we please God, Oh, my goodness. We understand applause as it was meant 
to be given. It's the applause of God himself. And we understand it's because, not of our works, it's because of the righteousness of his son, Jesus, that at justification is imputed to us and he sees us as righteous as his son. And in such, he applauds us as we can never imagine. That's the divine applause. Romans 8, 29 and 30 is basically God screaming at us, you matter to me, you're God. You matter. And we struggle to believe that. We struggle to believe it. And I think we struggle because we don't understand our salvation. Because we're looking at the me side of what I do in my salvation. And what I'm directing you in this series to do is look at what God does in our salvation, what happens to be everything. So to wrap this up, I simply say this. When you want to brag, when you want to be complimented and so forth, remind yourself your need for glory. But remember, it's the authentic version that you need. That's what we crave. That's what actually fulfills. Found alone in Christ. And never think of your craving as too strong. Oh, I'm wanting too much applause. No, 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 no. That's not the problem. No, the problem is that maybe that our desire is too weak. Or perhaps it's the weakness of that desire when we look at what it is that we would use to try to fulfill it, knowing that it can't happen. We need a much greater desire. Here's how C.S. Lewis has put this. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink, sex, and ambition when infinite satisfaction is offered to us. We're too easily satisfied. And that we are. That we are. You know, at this point, it would be a, a, a great study to take glorification a few more weeks uh, and really talk about that final that final glory that's given to us when Christ comes back, which would be a study on what heaven is all about. Uh, we were talking in our ELT meeting, our, our executive leadership team meeting, and Jeff was talking about perhaps in the near future teaching a series. It's not to hold him to it, but a series on heaven. I, I'll tell you this. When you begin to get a picture of heaven, what you're really understanding is glorification. When you start thinking about heaven, understand this, that at that time, glorification happens. Let's take Jamie. You know, Jamie, we just had a, 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 one of her stories in the last months. I don't remember how long, it wasn't that long ago. Her story is she sat in a wheelchair, you may remember, and shared her story with MS. And we went to college with Jamie. I've known her ever since college. And, and, and talking about a hard life, oh, hard, hard hard life. But it was a life with a smile. It was amazing. But when she passed so suddenly and so unexpectedly, uh, there had to be this thought from any of us that knew her and knew her past who would say, how can you feel bad for her at this time? Well, that's really the story of all of us. 
How can we feel bad for us when we go to be with the Lord if we understand glorification? Because at that moment, at that moment, there is a removal of everything bad. And then we get everything that's good except that new body and the new earth that comes when Jesus comes back. And then we are fully glorified. Then we have our old body made new. We have this earth made new and we live on this earth in this body on earth living life with work as it was before the curse with pleasure and things to do with full glory. Oh, without a body for a while, without this new earth for a while, what does that look like? Don't know. Doesn't matter because it'll be like a blink of an eye. And with that, it'll all be done. That's called glorification. Set your mind on the glory yet to be revealed as you go through the struggles, as you walk through life. It's only then that we can endure. Now with that, I've ended every message the same. All of the previous eight weeks, I'm going to do it the same this time. I'll end the message with the question, why teach this? I don't know if you've picked it up, but I've been using a different reason, a different reason, a different reason, a different reason. I got about 10 more left, but I can't take that much time, so I've whittled it down to three. These would be the reasons that I would say, this is why we teach this. Again, not to just make you believe in a particular theology. There's a reason. It's because these doctrines enable us to have a greater assurance of salvation. See, if we focus, if our focus is on our self-achieved will, that we can will whatever it is that we want in salvation, and that's basically how we get salvation, we self-will it. I want it, I come for it, I create the will, I offer the will, I do what's responsible to get my salvation. When that happens, let me tell you, it's gonna be a fight forever to think about performance. It's gonna, you're gonna think about your theological preciseness. You know, am I orthodox, am I not? You look at past events, well, I think I'm saved because look what happened to me back when I was such and such, and that's where we'll look. But I'll tell you, when the focus is on God's initiating love, that that's why you're his. Now there's a new confidence. There's a new security. There's a new assurance that comes to believers. Keep in mind that the opposing theology to what you've been learning here is called Arminianism. Many great Christians have believed in it through the years. But Arminianism I mean, one of the grand and final teachings of Arminianism is this. You can lose your salvation. Why not? Of course you can. In that teaching, because it is a self-will. It, it takes away the, the things we've been talking about from, from the very beginning of foreknowledge, forelove, to predestination, to calling. And then we come to justification. It's a self-will thing. If that's where you start your salvation, then I'll tell you, it's going to always be tougher, not impossible, but to gain an assurance, a healthy assurance of salvation. Let me give you a second reason. These doctrines affect our practice of worship. They really do. I, I consider myself a, a kind of a student of worship because I've had week in and week out for all these many years to think about worship as we do it as a church. 
Uh, I feel like in many respects, uh, I, I know this, that in our, what we have is called a book of church order. I am the lead worshiper. I'm the one in charge of worship. And so I should be a student of worship. Uh, and in doing so, it's amazing. I think the last year, maybe two, uh, I think I've learned more about worship. I've learned more about what it really is. And I, that's just been a, it's been kind of a passion of mine. And I'll say this, that if our focus in worship is on a big God, I mean a big God, then you're going to want preaching on what God has done. You don't want preaching on what we do. That's why so many of you, I think, have a big God, and, and you don't mind teaching like this. You can tell me about the bigness of God. And I think our singing, if it's a big God, it'll focus on God. It won't focus on the music and the musicians, the singers, the lyrics, and did it, what did it do for me? And No, no, no. That won't be the focus now. It'll be on God. If we have a lesser God, not the big God, you're going to want preaching that's more self-help oriented. Tell me what I need to do to fix my family. Tell me what I need to do biblically to fix my life. Tell me what I need to do. And when it comes to the singing and so forth, the music, the focus will be on entertainment and arousing effect and how did it affect me and what was the music, what I needed to get me what I wanted to be the day when I came to church. It'll be a whole different storyline. Totally different. I was at a pastor's forum. At that forum, pastors of larger churches known across America were, were together and the question was, what are you doing in worship today? And I was sickened when it was over. When I heard, oh, we're the, the, what you got to do every week's got to be so much grander. It's got to be so much more exciting. It's got to be so much more. They, they learn real quickly. They, their, their level of, of what they want goes higher and higher and higher and higher. And whew, we just feel like we're, we're doing everything we can to get ready to give them something that's going to really jack them. And I'm thinking, give them a big God. Let God jack them. <laughs> well, what, why does it need to be that? Oh. So, number three, these doctrines give us a greater understanding of God and his grace and thus ultimately a deeper love for and trust in him. I've kind of said that before, but I had to end with that one. Piper says it, John Piper is about as well as any. He says, we will never feel the full wonder of grace until we surrender our claim to have the final say in our own salvation. We will never stand in awe of God's sovereignty over our lives and give him the glory for all our salvation until we know ourselves so utterly helpless that he had to do it all. And he did it all, right? That's been what this series is about. John Haggai, who many of you will meet tonight. John Haggai and his wife had one child, and that one child named Johnny. Johnny, till his death at 27, had a very, 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 very high IQ, was brilliant, had a wonderful mind. That's all he had. His body was gone from infancy. He couldn't walk, he couldn't talk. He couldn't feed himself. He, he, can't, he couldn't do anything. He basically 
sat there in a chair. And his family took care of him, his parents. It all happened because of a doctor who made a mistake because of something very inappropriate that doctor had done. He came to the hospital in a condition that he should have never performed what he did and left this child forever without capabilities. I was with Dr. Haggai when he was asked the question. Someone asked him, Dr. Haggai, do you find yourself bitter at God? You ever find yourself kind of fighting against God because of what he allowed in his sovereignty, what he allowed for your child to experience, and therefore what you've had to experience all of these years? I wrote his words down. He looked and he said, no, my concept of God would never permit that. Do you understand the bigness of his God? No. See, it's your concept of God that's going to impact so much. There is a lot at stake here, folks, on which theological direction you go. I'll say it one last time. I could be wrong. But you give thought to this historic perspective. There's too much at stake. So you that are friends here seeking, oh, listen, I'm glad that you've been introduced to the big God that we have. And I hope you fall in love with him because of his bigness and that you don't find yourself saying, oh, I don't like you for what you do. Oh, you get to know him better. And you'll understand that actually for his children, all things work together for good. All things. Now with that, the teaching is over. But I am going to close with a postscript. And a postscript is defined as an afterthought uh, just to give a supplementary, supplementary information I want to speak to two groups, and it'll only be one minute or so to each. But the first group is, is those that I would say, uh, those who embrace the teachings that you've heard. Uh, two things that I would say to you. Number one, always couple the doctrines of grace with the practice of grace. I've gone to school with people who embrace the doctrines of grace as much as I do but for some reason are not very gracious about what they've learned. Never do we take knowledge without love. Knowledge puffs up. Paul says it clearly. Couple knowledge with love, and it is a powerful thing. Put the two together, always. And to you, I would say a second thing. Never show greater zeal to convert Christians to doctrines of grace than to introduce the loss to the God of grace. I hope that you understand I rarely teach this subject. If you're new with us and think, oh, this is what this church is all about. This is all they teach. That's not true. This series I did teach 10 years ago, and I will teach these truths interwoven in little ways, but... You're not going to see me just, this is it, this is it. you got to believe this. No, not at all. In fact, I hope that what you've seen modeled in the leadership of this church is a passion for reaching the lost, that they too get to know the God of grace. And so a word to you guys that have, uh, uh, that have embraced the teaching. And lastly, 
uh, a word to those who have graciously endured this series while disagreeing with the teachings. <laughs> I want to thank you for your grace and for your graciousness. And I'll request, make this request, you make sure that your rejection of this teaching is because you really don't see it, you truly don't see it in God's Word, and not because it simply doesn't make sense. I want you to remember from the early part of the series, remember these two words, mystery and dot. And you'd have to be in the series to understand those two words. This is mystery, and when you find mystery, you find intimacy. There is intimacy in mystery. And you remember dot. You're just that little dot on a board of eternity, and we are temporal. And there are so many truths out there on that massive board, eternal board of truth that God can have that never fits on our little dot. So as you read God's Word in the future, remember mystery and dot. I hope you've benefited from the learnings of these doctrines of grace and that God becomes bigger and bigger and you experience his love more significantly. Jeff just, uh, in fact, asked me uh, this week, we were talking, he said, uh, let's, let's plan a time this next year that we finish Romans 8, so we'll go back into Romans 8. I'll have the privilege of teaching the last verses of Romans 8 that uh, will kind of cap this wonderful, wonderful book off. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the uh, great teaching that you have given to us uh, through uh, your servant, Paul. And we pray now that we might be a people that uh, truly look at your word and we find what we believe is true and we hang on to that truth. Grant that we can do that. And for our seeking friends here, uh, most importantly, we pray, let them see you for who you are. And would you now gift them with a love relationship that they can have for the rest of eternity. So we thank you through Christ, and it's his name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.